You're listening to Vatican Radio. In this week's edition of Gospel Truth, the late Jill Bevilacqua and Sean Patrick Lovett bring us readings and reflections from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13 of the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Jesus told this parable to his disciples. The reign of God can be likened to ten bridesmaids, who took their torches and went out to welcome the groom. Five of them were foolish, while the other five were sensible. The foolish ones, in taking their torches, brought no oil along, but the sensible ones took flasks of oil as well as their torches. The groom delayed his coming, so they all began to nod, then to fall asleep. At midnight someone shouted, The groom is here, come out and greet him. At the outcry, all the virgins woke up and got their torches ready. The foolish ones said to the sensible, Give us some of your oil, our torches are going out. But the sensible ones replied, No, there may not be enough for you and us. You had better go to the dealers and buy yourselves some. While they went off to buy it, the groom arrived, and the ones who were ready went in to the wedding with him. Then the door was barred. Later the other bridesmaids came back. Master, master, they cried, open the door for us. But he answered, I tell you, I do not know you. The moral is, keep your eyes open, for you know not the day or the hour. The parable of today's gospel, called by one writer a little masterpiece, is set in the context of a wedding, not an uncommon choice for our Lord, as we saw only recently in the parable of the marriage of a king's son. As is mentioned in the handbook about life in our Lord's time, he referred to various aspects of the wedding festivities in his lessons, thus showing that marriage ceremonies were familiar to the common person. In a note in the Illustrated Gospel, we read how this parable was born. Jesus gets his idea for the parable from contemporary Jewish customs connected with the last stage of a wedding. These included accompanying the bride to the bridegroom's house. Towards evening, she, with her friends, awaited the arrival of the bridegroom's party. Then, together, they all went into the house where the bridal feast had already been prepared. A scholar of today writes that, according to the wedding customs of the Near East in past times, two processions formed, one leaving the bride's house, the other from the groom's, and the two groups went to the place where the celebration of the great banquet took place. The bride would be accompanied by girls of her own age. Today's version of the Gospel talks of bridesmaids and then virgins. The Jerusalem Bible uses only bridesmaids, an earlier New Testament only virgins, while the Revised Standard Version has maidens. Today the word bridesmaid best describes what the girls in the parables were, attendance on the bride. 
The original word, which appeared in 1552, was bridemaid. The S was only added in the 19th century. And in fact, in Coleridge's poem, which we quoted from recently, he uses the word bridemaid. What loud uproar bursts from that door? The wedding guests are there. But in the garden bower the bride and bridemaids singing are. The 1933 Shorter Oxford Dictionary defines a bridesmaid as a young unmarried woman performing various ceremonial duties at a wedding. In a present-day dictionary, apart from defining a bridesmaid as an unmarried girl or woman who attends a bride, a second definition is this, someone who is never the centre of attraction or who always comes off second best. I wonder if this comes from the old song, why am I always the bridesmaid and never the blushing bride? Ding dong, wedding bells only ring for other gals. But one fine day, oh may it be soon, I shall wake up in the morning on my own honeymoon. Tennyson, in his poem The Bridesmaid, gives another amusing twist to the old situation. O bridesmaid, ere the happy knot was tied, thine eyes so wept that they could hardly see. Thy sister smiled and said, No tears for me, a happy bridesmaid makes a happy bride. And then the couple standing side by side, love lighted down between them, full of glee, and over his left shoulder laughed at thee. O happy bridesmaid, make a happy bride. And all at once, a pleasant truth I learned, for while the tender service made thee weep, I loved thee for the tear thou couldst not hide, and pressed thy hand, and knew the press returned, and thought, My life is sick of single sleep. O happy bridesmaid, make a happy bride. Another significant person at weddings today is the best man, as we call him. But as one child said, if he's the best man, why is she marrying the other one? Formerly he was called the bridesman, and before that the bride man, and in the 17th century the bride leader, because he led the bride to the bridegroom. And that leads us back to our parable and to our ten young women, our maidens, our virgins, with their torches, their lamps, all dressed for the part, setting out to meet the bridegroom. But he's delayed. Was he having the biblical version of a stag party? We don't know. But the girls begin to wilt. It's the end of a long, rather formal day, and they're probably getting hungry too. How long will it be before the real party begins, with all the goodies? And their wedding garments are getting creased. Suddenly, it all becomes too much and one by one they begin to nod and eventually drop off. And then at midnight there's a shout. He's coming, the bridegroom, quick, get your lamps ready, we must go. And swiftly the five sensible girls get their torches ready, trim their lamps in the old version. But an oil lamp was not a matter of switching on as with an electric torch. Oil lights, wrote Robert Louis Stevenson in 1881, were hard to kindle, easy to extinguish, pale and wavering in the hour of their endurance.
trimming a lamp involved cleaning or cutting the level of the wick. This was a bundle of fibre, perhaps loosely woven cotton, soaked in the oil which it absorbed and drew up on being kindled so as to maintain the flame. In The Mask of Comus, John Milton wrote of the stars as lamps and complained to the night for hiding them. Why shouldst thou, but for some felonious end, in thy dark lantern thus close up the stars that nature hung in heaven and filled their lamps with everlasting oil to give due light to the misled and lonely traveller? Keeping a lamp alight, then, was a tricky business and you had to be prepared to renew the oil when the flame began to flicker. And this, comments our scholar, is the point of the parable. The alert expectation in which the faithful must always live, since the Lord, the bridegroom, will come when he is least expected. Christ as the bridegroom is referred to by John the Baptist at the end of his mission, when he said, The bride is only for the bridegroom, and yet the bridegroom's friend, who stands there and listens, is glad when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And when some asked him why John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and his disciples were not, our Lord answered, Surely the bridegroom's attendants would never think of fasting while the bridegroom is still with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they could not think of fasting. But the time will come for the bridegroom to be taken away from them, and then on that day they will fast. When Jesus recounted the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, he was no longer in the temple with the crowds, but up on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. He had foretold the end of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. And from this he went on to speak of the end of the world and the end of each one's life. As one writer puts it, with the end of his own earthly life so close, his mind was much upon endings. That night, the Tuesday of the first Holy Week, he intended to sleep in the place where two nights later he would be found by Judas and the temple guard. His thoughts may well have been running ahead to that grim moment. And still he climbed, and through the grey leaves thrust, quite grey and lost, in the grey olive lands, and laid his burning forehead full of dust deep in the dustiness of burning hands. After all, this, and this then was the end. Now I am to go while I am going blind, and oh, why wilt thou have me still contend thou art whom I myself no longer find? No more I find thee, in myself, no tone of thee, nor in the rest, nor in this stone. I can find thee no more. I am alone. I am alone with all that human fate I undertook through thee to mitigate. The opening lines of Rainer Maria Rilke's poem, The Olive Garden. 
That moment of desolation, the agony in the garden, was still in the future. But it must have been looming close in his mind, so that the parables he tells on that evening are all related to either his prophecy of the end of the world, or we read, to the death of each person, which is also unforeseeable and represents the coming of Jesus to individuals. Be prepared, the motto of the Boy Scouts, taken from the initials of their founder, Baden-Powell, is the warning we are given, writes Sheed. That is the moral of the parable about the five sensible girls and the five silly ones. The lamps which they had to carry in the procession burnt out. The five sensible girls had brought an extra supply of oil. The others had not, therefore could not go in the procession and were excluded from the wedding feast. The wedding merely provided a framework for the truths the parable was meant to convey. As a framework, it was soon discarded. Jesus is clearly talking of his own coming to the individual soul at death to lead it to the eternal banquet and of the terrifying urgency for the soul that it be in a state of grace and thus capable of banqueting with him. The mind turns to Newman's dream of Gerontius and the soul's anxiety and uncertainty of its future after death. But let's hear a totally different approach to that moment of truth. A poem by F.W. Harvey, written in 1917 while he was a prisoner of war in Germany and perhaps remembering his village back home. He's writing of a village woman, wizened and toothless, who hears noises in her head and fears fire and flood in purgatory. Here is the oldest inhabitant hears far off the drums of death. Sometimes tis far off, and sometimes tis nigh. Such dromedary noises too they be. Tis odd. Oh, I do hope I bain't to die, just as the summer months be coming on, and buffly chicken out and bumblebee. Though to be sure I cannot hear em plain, for this drat row as goes a-drumming on, just like a little soldier in my brain. And oh, I've heard we got to go through flame and water floods. But maybe tisn't true. I always were a-frightened of the sea, and burning fires. Oh, it would be a shame, and all the garden ripe and sky so blue. Such dromedary noises, too, they be. But our parable is about young girls, some wise, some foolish, with their hopes, their fears, their dreams. So let's look at life and youth for a moment and listen to the famous Counsel to Girls by Robert Herrick or in the more celebrated title To the Virgins to Make Much of Time. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may Old time is still a-flying And this same flower that smiles today Tomorrow will be dying the glorious lamp of heaven the sun the higher he's a getting the sooner will his race be run and nearer he's to setting that age is best which is the first when youth and blood are warmer but being spent the worse and worst time still succeed the former 
then be not coy, but use your time, and while ye may, go marry, and having lost but once your prime, you may forever tarry. Did we not know it, we would not guess that Herrick was a clergyman, for his themes were youth and love. But he was writing when England was torn apart by civil war, and at such times life seems shorter and youth more precious. Where Milton called the stars lamps, Herrick's lamp is the sun, personified as Phoebus Apollo, god of the sun in pagan times. But earthly lamps have always been evocative in their lighting and in their extinguishing for they symbolise life and its fragility, tenuous as a wavering flame. But while we must be ready, for we know not the day nor the hour, yet when it comes, our brief candle will no longer be needed. For as Tagore wrote, Death is not extinguishing the light, but putting out the lamp, because the dawn has come. 